hey, this is going to be the best of our three services. Turn to someone next to you and say, this one's going to be the best. Now, listen, you didn't mean that. Now, this time, say it like you mean it, at least like I would think you mean it. Try one more time. This one's going to be the best. I'm telling you, at 8 a.m., our fire alarm went off. All of the sound and the lights and the power and everything shut off. They evacuated all the kids in the nursery outside until we realized there wasn't a fire. Last service, videos and stuff were reset, and it does not appear Satan is in this service yet. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping this one's the best one. Two weeks from today, we are starting 12 Christmas services. We're doing that because we believe it's important to provide an opportunity for our people in our community and their families to remember at Christmas that God is with us, but we are not going to wait um, till the week of Christmas to begin to celebrate that fact. We're in a series that we're starting today called God With Us, and here's the premise of this series. Here's what we're leaning into in December at Journey. We want to celebrate Christmas as the season that we remember and leverage the fact that God is with us because of Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. This series is all about Jesus. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, you said the last series was all about Jesus. Here's a secret. At Journey, they're all about Jesus. Like every series ultimately is going to point towards Jesus. And at Christmas, we don't just remember Jesus, but we leverage the fact that Jesus came. The first Christmas was not a religious holiday just for spiritual people. It was a holiday where the angels showed up over the shepherd's fields of Bethlehem and they shouted to the whole world, y'all have to come see what has happened here. And Christmas in 2020 is probably the most important Christmas we've ever had as a part of our church to tell the world that has been living through a really dark year, y'all have to come see what has happened in a manger at Bethlehem because Jesus changes everything. Amen? We got 12 Christmas services, all kinds of services to get people in here. Sunday, December 20, we got four. Monday and Tuesday, we've got one each that evening. Wednesday, December 23rd, we got two, and then we go all day long on Christmas Eve. We are considering, let me say this very specifically for those of you watching at home, good morning. Thanks for being with us online today. We are considering making Monday and Tuesday evening services very specifically for those who would like to come but who, who, who cannot be around the crowd right now if you're going to be with your family at Christmas. So we're considering, stay tuned, capping Monday and Tuesday at 50 people and having those services be really socially distant. So if you have family or friends who would like to go to church at Christmas but they just can't be around a crowd, we think those two may be times where you can come in and really be distanced from everyone else. In every one of our Christmas services, we will have massively socially distanced environments all over our building. We'll have rooms where it is required that you wear a mask to get in. We have some people who've told us, Christian, I would come, but if I come without a mask, I'll have to quarantine for two weeks because my kids, my grandkids, my grandparents, um, somebody in our family um, has serious underlying conditions. We'll have places where you can come. We have an outdoor environment. For those of you watching online, we now have a heated outdoor outdoor environment that will stay up all winter long. So lots of ways, if you can be here in person to be a part of Christmas, if not, all these services will be online. You can pick up your communion kit um, to take communion with your family at home sometime through the month of Christmas. All you got to do is go to that website, christmasatjourney.com, give you all the information. Please go and register because people are looking how full of the services to, to figure out which one they want to be in depending on how many people there will be and how big the crowd will be. So if you could register, that would be huge. We're also serving our community at Christmas this year. We're trying to provide 300 boxes of Christmas meals for 300 families in our community. We just did nearly 200 for Thanksgiving, and several of the families came through said, are you doing anything for Christmas? And we said we really hadn't thought about it. We always do toys for Christmas. We always do gifts for Christmas. 
Um, but if there's a need, yeah, we're going to do something for Christmas. And we've had nearly 300 people who said, our family needs some help at Christmas this year. Let me tell you how you know if you're supposed to help. If you've gotten to this point in the month, December 6th, and you haven't worried yet whether or not your family's going to have Christmas dinner, you are supposed to help someone else have Christmas dinner as well. If it's not been a concern, like if you've not thought one time, what are we going like, to eat? If you have that taken care of, figure out how to help somebody else have that taken care of. Um, you saw on the video, you can text two words, Journey Serve, to 474747. It'll give you items that can be dropped off next Sunday, and then it'll help you sign up on Saturday the 19th to come help us pack for several hours so that we can give those meals away. It's going to be incredible. And remember, as you come to our church, lots of things change. And if you haven't driven around our church yet, this yellow parking lot is now in. It's not asphalt yet, but it is parkable. You'll see a lot of our staff and volunteers have parked there today. If you get a chance when you leave church, just kind of walk right and you'll see this little gravel walkway that'll show you how we're going to get people around our church when this yellow entrance closes. Hopefully, that'll stay open through Christmas Eve. But on Sundays, we're asking families to begin to use this entry to the west. That leads right into our kids' ministry. If you don't have kids, either walk in the front or park in the back. It's going to be an exciting nine months of building, but it's going to be very, very tight in our building. So if you could help us with that, that would be awesome. We're in Matthew chapter 1 today. Let's dig in to our Bible study. We spent 10 weeks in Matthew. As I've looked at the book, we said we're going to spend a year in Matthew, kind of going one verse at a time. It may be more like a decade, but when, when we're done, we're done. Today, we're going to start in the very beginning. And let me introduce you to Matthew. I've done this before, kind of in our last series from time to time, I helped you understand aspects of Matthew, but as we dig into Matthew chapter 1 today, let me give you Matthew at a glance. He's one of four biographers of Jesus' life and ministry. Mark, Luke, and John were the others. He was a former tax collector stationed in Jesus' ministry hometown of Capernaum. That's where they met. He watched Jesus do ministry. Then he followed Jesus for a little while in ministry, and Jesus said, hey, come be one of us, and he did. He's also known by the Hebrew name Levi. The biographers Mark and Luke both call him Levi, not Matthew, which connects him to the Levitical tribe and their priestly temple ministry inheritance. It's really believed that Matthew turned down a life of accepting sacrifice from the Jews that would connect them to God to collecting taxes for the Romans that would connect them to Rome. He gave up his life of ministry because he wanted to live a lucrative life himself. He changed jobs but he learned a lot about the temple role before he did that. He's most likely the highest educated disciple of Jesus, especially in the scriptures teaching and worship practices of Judaism. As a matter of fact, he quotes more from the Old Testament scriptures than Mark, Luke, and John combined. He was highly educated in the Old Testament scriptures because probably as a boy, being a part of the Levitical tribe, he would have learned all of the scriptures and practices of worship and Judaism to lead people in before he departed that life and kind of went off on his own for a little bit. Some of you today might be like Matthew. You may have been raised in the church. You may know a lot of scripture. You may know what it looks like to walk with Jesus, but you may have walked away from Jesus. Christmas, through the lens of Matthew, is a great time to come on back. The Apostle Paul said the things of Judaism that Matthew's going to introduce to us are the things that connect the people of planet earth to the people of the God of heaven. He says in Romans chapter 9, the, the Jews were given the adoption as sons of God. The Jews were given the covenants and the promises of God. The Jews were fed in the wilderness with bread from heaven and water from the rock. The Jews were given the scriptures, and from the Jews would come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. First century church father Papias 
born in A.D. 70, which meant he was born while the New Testament was still being written, recorded in his writings that Matthew was one of the first ones that taught us the words of Jesus because he followed him around and wrote down his words. Second century church father, um, Ignatius, would tell us that Matthew was the one. He was born in 108 A.D., so about 10 years after the apostle John died, would say everything he had learned from the apostles and teaching told him Matthew was the one who introduced the world to Jesus. And today we get to be introduced to Jesus as well through Matthew chapter one. Here are the goals of today as we dig in. Number one, to learn God's promises of a coming savior and king who would change the world by changing hearts. That's what Matthew one is gonna teach us. If we could summarize it, that's what it's gonna teach us. We're gonna learn the promises of a coming savior and king who would change the world by changing hearts. And then number two, we're gonna learn to live with the presence of God in our life. We're gonna learn the promises of God, not just so we can be educated, but we wanna learn today to live with the presence of God so that we can be transformed. We don't just wanna be informed, we wanna be transformed today. So we're gonna try to do that through Matthew chapter one. As we get ready to dig into scripture, we always stop and pray. I'm gonna have you pray for two things today. One, I'm gonna have you pray for the person God may be telling you to invite into your spiritual Christmas with you or to ask God to show you that person or that family. And then secondly, we're going to pray that God will speak to our hearts from Matthew 1 today. So would you bow your heads with me here and online? Take a deep breath if you haven't yet today. Settle your spirit into this spiritual moment. And as you pray, first, pray for the person that you think God is leading you to invite into your spiritual Christmas with you this year. If you don't know who that person is, pray that God will show you in the next two weeks who needs Jesus this Christmas. If you know who they are, pray for them by name that their hearts might be open, that they'd be willing to come. God would speak to them. And then ask God to speak to your heart today through his word so that you can live with his presence in your life. God, help us to leverage this Christmas to introduce people to Jesus and let us learn today to live with his presence in our lives. That's our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name today and everyone said, amen. We're gonna start Matthew chapter one. I'm gonna read the entire chapter in two chunks today. I'll start with verses one through 17. It says this, hang on tightly and follow along. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. 
After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtel, Shealtel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And everyone said, thank God that part of it's over. Like, like that's, a, that's a lot of names that you don't say on a daily basis, um, but I worked really, really hard. Now, in order to understand what Matthew wants his reader to understand about Jesus, you have to understand what his readers 2,000 years ago would have understood because what he just said in Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 is shocking. I mean, it, to, to someone raised in Judaism 2,000 years ago, this is a stop the presses list of information. This is where a men's group stops in the middle and calls everyone who's not there and says, y'all got to get here. This is unbelievable. This is where the, the women's ministry stops and calls all the ladies who aren't there yet and says, y'all, y'all got to get here. This is where parents call their kids into the living room and said, y'all need to hear this. This is where kids call their mom and dads at work and say, y'all need to come home and hear this because what Matthew has just presented to his readers raised in Judaism were literally the greatest promises of God fulfilled in their lifetime. You say, what were these? We're going to look first at the promises because for us to understand who Jesus is through the lens of Matthew, we have to understand how powerful these 17 verses were, specifically these three segments of 14-year kind of generations that were given to us. When you say promises, you say, Christian, what do you mean by promises? I really mean covenant. Um, I mean agreement. In our, in our Bible, we call them testaments. Um, we, we refer to the Bible as having two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. But really, those were Old Covenant and New Covenant. It meant promises, agreement. The word testament, you think of a last testament and will. It's something you promise on your life to do. God had promised the world a few things that he would absolutely do that they could anticipate. And in Matthew chapter 1, we read all these promises. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, we, see, we see all of them. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of this message, and then we'll do the Bible study version of the message. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What were all of God's promises? As a son of Abraham, God promised that someone would come who would bless the world. As a son of David, God promised that someone would come who would rule the world. As the Messiah, God promised someone would come who would save the world by changing their heart from the inside out. God had promised his people that he would bless them, that he would rule over and set up a kingdom that they could thrive in, and that he would save them by changing them from the inside out in Matthew in one verse says Jesus is the guy who's going to do all of it it is a fascinating start to the New Testament scripture the word geniality is the Greek word genesis it means the beginning or the origin which means the Old Testament begins this way in the beginning God and the New Testament begins this way in the beginning Jesus the Old Testament says this is a story of God and how he interacts with people on earth. The New Testament says this is going to be the story of Jesus and how God used him to interact with the earth. And we see a few things that Jesus will do. This is the beginning of Jesus. 
we read that he's the son of Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant or the promise that was given to Abraham was God's promise to bless the entire world through a spiritual descendant of Abraham. The Jews had waited their entire life for someone who could bless the entire world. Matthew said, he's the guy. Here's how God said it in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram before he changed his name, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you. I will curse all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Several aspects of the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant. One, there's going to be a specific land that you will live in. And from that piece of land, the whole world will know that there's a God. There are a lot of pieces of land on planet earth. There is only one known as the holy land. And it is the place that God told Abraham he would give him a land where the whole world would know that God had moved. He would give him a nation. We know that both from the Old Testament and modern day as the nation of Israel. He said, you'll be more than a family. You'll be a country. And he said, your name is gonna be great. People will remember you spiritually for all of time. I'm gonna tell you how true that statement was. But he said, the most important part of how I will bless you is how you will bless others. Everyone on earth is gonna be blessed through someone that comes from you. The Jews their entire life had been waiting for this person that could bless the entire world. David said his name's Jesus or Matthew said his name's Jesus and you should meet him. He fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. He's also the son of David, Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The Davidic covenant, the promise given to David was God's promise that a spiritual descendant of David would rule the entire world from the throne of Israel. This wouldn't just be any descendant of Abraham. It wouldn't just be any great, 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 great grandson. It would be someone who was related to King David, someone who had a heart shaped to rule a spiritual kingdom. This is one who would come from a line of kings. Yes, he would be Jewish, but very specifically, he would be from the tribe of Judah and from the family of David. Here is that promise to David and the world through David. Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, just like he said to Abram. Like the names of the greatest men on earth. And then he says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, when David died in AD 970 and when Jerusalem was conquered in 686 or so, 586 BC, we would say either God is a liar or there's something else going on here in the promise of God of this king that would rule Israel. And Matthew would say it's the latter. God is actually still working. And it's the third group of 14 that tells us that. Did you notice what Matthew said? 14 generations from all the promises to Abraham to the land. 14 generations from the king and the promise to the king to the exile. But then he said God didn't stop moving when it seemed like all the promises were dead. Because you get to all the really hard names that you've never even heard of, and only the first two or three generations are in that Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther clip of life in the Old Testament. Then you get a bunch of random people who lived in what's known spiritually as the Dark Ages that lead right up to Jacob, the father of Joseph, who married mother, uh, who married Mary, who would be the mother of Jesus. And you say, what's God doing in that time period? What's God doing in that third time period? He was giving spiritual promises of renewal that would happen from the inside out. It's called in scripture, if you study it, the new covenant. This is where the whole concept of the Messiah 
a savior begins to begins to take place in scripture because before before the exile in 586 it was a nation and a land and then it was it was a king and a kingdom but in 586 everything everything fell apart and Jeremiah the prophet really two two Old Testament writing prophets you could add Ezekiel and say there were three began to unpack this this promise of a spiritual Messiah the new covenant promised through the prophet of Jeremiah promised to change God's people from the inside out with a new heart and a new spirit and the timing of it's crucial because as Jeremiah is living his life the nation of Israel has has been conquered they're a vassal state the kings of Israel have all been captured and they're now living in prison in Babylon so the the nation is gone the people are gone and the land is getting ready to be turned over so the people of Israel got to be thinking like is is God still working or his promise is still true do we have any hope of being blessed and living in a kingdom and having God help us and Jeremiah to put it in real context in chapter 29 writes a letter to all the exiles living in Babylon and basically said you're going to live and die there build houses get a job love your family pray for the city if it goes well it'll go well with you eventually a generation will come back Jeremiah 29 because I know the plans I have for you and th- these plans are to be a spiritual savior to you so eventually you're going to come back but for now the land the kings the nation that's kind of all gone for now but God's not done and in Jeremiah 31 he said well, what's God doing he begins to give what's called the new covenant the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant say those two words new covenant it's a big deal spiritually you should know these two words the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors Abraham David even Moses when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them covenant has two agreements he said you always broke yours I always kept mine however I'm going to keep mine in even a different way verse 33 this is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after this time declares the Lord I will put my law in their minds I will write it on their hearts I will be their God and they will be my people Ezekiel you Ezekiel used this metaphor he said the first covenants were they written on hearts yes or no when Moses went up did he take people's hearts up with him and have God write on hearts what did God write on wrote on stone tablets so Ezekiel said when God moves he's going to take your heart of stone that covenant that was written on stone and he's going to replace it with a heart of flesh it's no longer going to be an exterior set of rules that you have to follow but God's spirit from the inside out is going to begin to change your life this is the new covenant that's going to happen inside you no longer will you have to learn from someone else they no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another know the Lord because they're all going to know me from the least to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more Jeremiah said to the people of Israel listen God's going to do something new he promised you land he promised you kings he promised you a nation you have forfeited all of those but God is still at work and in the days coming in the future he's going to change your heart from the inside out there's going to be a brand new covenant made with you everyone say new covenant how important is this watch the connection Jeremiah 31 31 the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah what does Jesus say at the last supper in Luke chapter 22 in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is it's the new covenant it's a new it's a big deal it's a big deal what Matthew is saying to us is 
God has shown us a picture of what must be done for the world to be blessed and for the world to be ruled by a spiritual king and for the world to be changed from the inside out. It needs someone who can check all the boxes and he would say Jesus is that Messiah. In the Hebrew, the term is Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus, the Messiah. It's interesting that this is the beginning of Yeshua HaMashiach. What do these words mean? As they begin to read this book, the word Yeshua means the Savior. This is the beginning of the story of the Savior. It would have caught the attention of the Jewish audience reading it. This is the beginning of the story of Yeshua, the Savior, HaMashiach, the anointed one of God. Only three groups of people were anointed in the Old Testament, kings and priests and prophets. And Jesus would be the king of the Jews as they proclaimed on the day he was crucified. And Jesus would be the priest that stands between humanity and God and is the mediator that connects them. And Jesus would be the prophet who would stand on the, uh, on the Mount of Beatitudes and teach a new way of teaching with authority that helped people understand how to connect to God from their heart, not just with a list of rules that had been written in stone. Yeshua HaMashiach. Here's what Matthew's trying to do. He needs his reader to understand that Jesus checks the boxes of every major promise God made to his people. Matthew screaming to his people raised in Judaism, he's here, like he's here. God said he was going to bless the world and that he was going to rule the world and that he was going to save the world by changing their hearts. And now he's here and his name is Jesus. The problem this Christmas is that we got too many different versions of Jesus walking around in the church. We don't have Yeshua HaMashiach Bar David, son of David, Bar Avraham, son of Abraham. We got people now saying, yeah, I, I worship Jesus, but I just don't believe in religion and I don't believe in all that like absolute moral truth. Like, yeah, I love Yeshua, but not the son of Avraham. And we said, well, that's a, he's different than mine because my Yeshua is, the, is, is Bar Avraham. He's the, son, he's the son of Abraham. He absolutely is connected to God and every bit of God's morality that he gave us in the Old Testament. We have people say, oh, I love Yeshua, I love Jesus. I absolutely love Jesus, but I am not gonna let him be in charge of my life. And we would say, that's like he's different from ours then. Because our Yeshua is Bar David. He's the, son of, he's the son of David. And that tells us he's come to, that tells us he's come to rule, he's come to be in charge. So the Yeshua of the Bible, like the Yeshua of Christmas, that's Bar David. He's, like he's the king, he's in charge. So you and I, we must, we must have a different one. Oh, I love Yeshua. I just don't need a Hamashiach. I don't need an anointed Savior because there's nothing wrong with me. It's the way I was born. It's the way I'll die. And God can adjust to who I am. And we would say that's not the Yeshua of the Christmas story because Matthew says this is the beginning of the story of the Savior. Yeshua Hamashiach. Bar David. Bar Avraham. This is the guy who's connected. I hear pastors say, you got in the New Testament world, you got to unhitch your faith from the Old Testament. I say, wait a minute. If we throw away the Old Testament, we lose Bar Avraham, we lose Bar David, we lose Mashiach. Those are all Old Testament concepts. Then he's just a guy. You sure you want to do that? See, we need the real Jesus to stand up in the year 20. And we need followers of Jesus to start saying, this is the real Jesus. He is Yeshua HaMashiach. He is Bar David. He's a king who we serve. He's Bar Avraham. He's, he's the one who's connected to all the promises 
of our Old Testament faith. That's who Jesus is. A counterfeit Jesus who has no morality. Counterfeit Jesus who has no kingdom. A counterfeit Jesus who offers no forgiveness. That Jesus cannot change you. That Jesus isn't worth celebrating on December 25th. But Yeshua HaMashiach, yeah, that's, that's one worth knowing because the promises that come along with him are transformational promises, especially when you understand and you experience his presence. So Matthew starts off his whole book by saying, you need to understand this guy, Jesus, and how he fulfills all these promises. But then you need to understand how he got here, and he picks up in verse 18, and it's way easier to read. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah, this is how the birth of Yeshua HaMashiach came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and she gave him the name Jesus. Listen, it's so important for followers of Jesus this Christmas to understand the promises that were made about him that he fulfilled. God said he was going to bless the world, rule the world, save the world by changing them from the inside out. Jesus checks all those boxes. But one of the reasons it's important to understand those promises is so that you can live with his presence. Because if we are informed of his promises, but we are not indwelt with his presence, doesn't do anything for us Monday through Saturday. And I'm telling you, we're living in a 2020 world where we need Jesus to mean as much or more Monday through Saturday as he does on Sunday, amen? Like it's, it's a world where Jesus either needs to be a blessing, a savior, a king, or he really doesn't need to be anything. It's a world where people need to carry Jesus with him in his presence. So we want to learn about God's presence. We need his presence. So we look at this little text of verses of Mary and Joseph and how Jesus came about. And we said, how do we experience God's presence? And we just, we look at their life and we learn some principles. What are the principles of their life? One, they had a simple trust in the supernatural. You say, I want to experience God's presence. Let me tell you what it's going to take. It's going to take a simple trust a childlike faith in the supernatural. It's going to take believing with your whole heart and being willing to defend that there really is a world after this one, that a virgin really did have a baby, that he really did die on a cross, that he was buried, but that he came back to life. It's going to take a simple childlike faith in the supernatural. And folks, I want to be honest, that type of faith is being attacked in America in 2020. Your, your friends, if you experience a simple childlike faith, they're going to belittle you. They're going to discourage you. They're going to argue with you. At least in our culture, they're going to say, you are a fool for believing that your God is going to step into this situation and do something different than the rest of us have going on. You're an absolute fool. And scripture says the only real fool says in his heart, there is no God. So you're going to have to decide which side you're on, who you believe and how you're going to live your life. Because it's impossible to connect with the presence of God if we don't believe in the supernatural 
even, even when it's beyond what we've experienced before. Look at Mary and Joseph. Mary's walking home from school and an angel shows up, says, hey, I'm Gabriel, God sent me. FYI, he likes you, you're gonna be pregnant. And she's like, okay, so Gabe, can I call you Gabe? And he's like, yeah, you call me Gabe. She's like, Gabe, I've never done the thing you do to get pregnant. So how's that gonna happen? He said, God's gonna take care of it. And she said, okay, makes sense. Text Joseph, hey, Joey. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant. And he, he takes back the confused emoji. And he's like, what? And she's like, and he said, we've never done the thing that you do to get pregnant. And she said, don't worry, God says he'll take care of it. And he must be from the south because to her face, he's very friendly. But then behind her back, he's like, I'm out of here, right? Like in the north, you'd just be like, I'm out of here. In the south, you'd be like, it's gonna be okay. And then you start packing your bags once they go to sleep. He's like, I'm out of here. He falls asleep. And while he's sleeping, he has a dream that an angel comes to him. Joseph, yeah, she really is pregnant. It really is from God. Just go with it. And he says, okay. Like their faith was so simple, it was almost naive. Let's not ignore the story and act like this, is, like this happens to everyone. This hadn't happened to anyone. And here they were saying, God, God, if you can do it, if you're saying you're going to do it, I'm in. Folks, you need to understand, for those of you who've been bashful about your faith, I told you Abraham would be known as the greatest spiritual man who ever lived on our planet. Do you know two out of three people alive on planet Earth today, nearly two out of three people alive on planet Earth today, believe that a God in heaven who created the heavens and the earth spoke to a man named Abram that lived in Mesopotamia about three or 4,000 years ago and said, your family, your land, your people, we're gonna bless the whole world. Do you know that nearly, nearly two out of three people alive on planet Earth, every Muslim alive on planet Earth believes that. They just believe the promise was fulfilled through a different son and a different group of people known as the nation of Islam. Every Christian on planet earth believes and leans into that promise and every Jew on planet earth believes and leads into that promise. Almost two out of every three people alive on the globe believe something supernatural happened between God and his people. Listen, folks, you are in the majority when it comes to a life of faith. Do not let our American culture shout you down. Don't let them embarrass you. Don't let them shame you. The apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of his story. I'm not ashamed to have faith. I'm not ashamed to talk about it. And we need more followers of Jesus in 2020 to say, I have a belief in the supernatural. I can't explain it all, but I'm not ashamed of any of it. Jesus is my savior. God sent him from heaven. He was born of a virgin. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. One day I'm going to be with him. I don't have all the answers, but I believe it all. Amen. Like we need a world that is willing to have simple trust in the supernatural. I can't explain it all, but I believe it all because you are in the majority when it comes to issues of faith. Do not let our secular culture shout you down. You don't need to be embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. More than that, what's really interesting about Mary and Joseph believing that God's presence could come be with them was this little tidbit of history. Um, for those of you who study scripture a little bit, so the presence of God was with the people of Israel in the tabernacle and in the temple. Um, in, where, in, in what? Where did the presence of God dwell? It was a box. Anybody remember what it was called? 
The Ark of the Covenant. If you've seen Indiana Jones, you're like, oh, yeah, I've not read the Bible, but that's a great movie. They're like, okay, yeah, that, that box, get it. Um, God's presence was represented by the Ark of the Covenant. Last time in Scripture it was mentioned was 2 Chronicles 35 when King Josiah said, hey, someone find the Ark and bring it back. Jewish scholars tell us the Ark of the Covenant had not been in Jerusalem. They don't think it had been in Israel for more than 600 years before Jesus was born. The presence of God, the literal presence of God on earth was not there. When you take tours today of Israel and you go underneath the temple with these rabbis and these Jewish scholars, they, they will confirm during the life and times of Jesus in Herod's temple, the Holy of Holies was empty. There wasn't anything in there. They believe maybe it dropped below the floor, maybe it's buried, maybe it's covered up, but they would say, we don't know where it is. And it were like, they lost God. Like it, like it represented God. They're like, where's, where's God? The presence of God wasn't there. And after 600 years, Mary and Joseph have a simple enough faith to believe God's coming back. We actually have historical, archaeological evidence of this fact. History's on your side. You don't need to be ashamed. If you go to Rome today, you can go through this, what's called the Arch of Titus. You can walk through it. This is an arch that the Roman general Titus kind of commemorated to his victories in the Middle East between AD 67 and AD 75. And what they did is they conquered these towns. They would burn down the temples and they would bring all the gods inside the temples back to Rome so that they could worship their Caesar. Inside this arch, they have all the stories of the lands that they conquered. And here's the one where they conquered Israel. If you could see this right here, I'll blow it up a little bit for you. What do we see here? Is a menorah. You say, why'd they bring the menorah? Because history says that when Titus walked into the Holy of Holies and there was nothing there, he said, grab the biggest thing, which was the menorah. And they marched it back to Rome as maybe Israel's God. They didn't, they didn't understand what it was. I find it interesting that the nation of Islam, which traces their founding back to Muhammad in the mid 600s, says the people of Israel never even lived in the Holy Land, much less Jerusalem. It was always their city. When archaeological history says at least 600 years before Muhammad was born, Jews were worshiping on that mountain and the Romans conquered him and brought their stuff home. More than 600 years since the presence of God had dwelt in the ark and the Holy of Holies. And now the people of Israel were told he was coming back. But this time it would be in a manger, not an ark. But he was coming back. And you could be one with the presence of God. Folks, it's going to take a supernatural faith. But you don't need to be ashamed of it, and you can trust it. What else do we learn? I want to experience God's presence. You have to have spiritual community with people who are spirit-filled. You have to have spiritual community with people who are spirit-filled. Can you imagine if Mary didn't have Joseph, if Joseph didn't have Mary? Can you imagine if both of them didn't have Elizabeth and Zechariah, John the Baptist, mom and dad, to kind of walk through this journey? Can you imagine if Mary would have gone to Joseph and he wasn't spirit-filled, how quickly he would have left? Or if Joseph would have heard from the angel, but Mary wouldn't have been spirit-filled, how quickly she could have left? Or how quickly a favored aunt or a favored uncle, how quickly a grandma or grandpa, how quickly a mom and dad could kind of mute someone's faith by saying, you don't need to believe any of that. Mary had Joseph. Joseph had Mary. Together they both had Elizabeth and Zechariah. My question, who do you have? When God speaks big faith into your spirit, who do you have that says, go do it? Go do it. Mary had Joseph. Joseph had Mary. Joseph and Mary both had Zechariah and Elizabeth. 
Who do you have that when God lays his vision, his burden, his call, his commands on your heart, you go to them and they say, man, go do it. I'm not only behind you, I'm with you. Mary had Joseph, Joseph had Mary. Who do you have? Had dinner with a couple in our church a few weeks ago and as we were talking about 2020, like all of you do, man, we're talking about the election. Right after the election, we were talking about um, the social unrest. We were talking about COVID. We were talking about masks or no masks. We were talking about 2020. And as we're talking about 2020, one of the members of this couple that we're talking about started talking about their best friend, how on every issue of life, this is the first person I go to. But I could tell from their interactions with their friend, I could tell their friend was on the far, far, far liberal side of everything. So I stopped and I said, can I ask you a question? And they said, yeah. And I said, this friend who's always your first call to check what's going on in your heart, this friend, are they a follower of Jesus? And they said, no. And I said, have you ever called them and had them like quote scripture to you about what you think God is saying? And he said, oh no, they would never do that. And I said, then they can't be your first call. <laughs> like, it doesn't, like it doesn't work that way. Like if you're trying to live with the presence of God in your life and you're trying to hear the voice of God in your life and you're trying to follow the word of God in your life and then you check with someone who doesn't believe any of it, that's not gonna work. Can you imagine if Joseph would have checked with his boys down at the bar instead of Mary? Fellas, God go guess what happened got home last night Mary texted me that she's pregnant but she said it's God God's what do y'all think how do you think that conversation goes do you think they would say we, all, we just need to trust God man we're with you how long that engagement how long is that engagement going to last can you, can you imagine if Mary would have called her book club and said I, I got stopped by an angel on the way home from school and he told me I'm going to be pregnant. And like God's Holy Spirit's doing it because he wants to save the world. You think those friends who don't love Jesus are going to say, man, this makes no sense, but we're with you. See, the reason it's so hard for so many Christians to do what God is telling them to do, calling them to do, moving them to do, is because our first phone calls to people who are not spirit-filled. And you have the Holy Spirit saying one thing and you have the world saying something else. Folks, you've got to find your spiritual community. And if you don't have a friend who's going to quote scripture to you and tell you what the Holy Spirit is saying to them, you, need, you don't have to lose that friend, but you've got to find friends to put at the front of the line. Listen, I beg you in 2021, if you don't have spiritual community, find spiritual community. Right now, right behind that wall, there's probably a few dozen people going through growth track right now. They're hearing how our church is shaped and they're learning that our church is shaped to be lived in small groups of spiritual community because that is where real life happens. I beg you. I bet if it's the only thing you take away from this message, you will, you'll struggle experiencing God's presence if you don't have spiritual community with the Spirit filled. You have to have that. You say, what else do I have to have to experience God's presence? A son that would be called Emmanuel. A son that would be called Emmanuel. Matthew said everything in the first chapter of his book could be summed up this way. He said, everything I've just told you is to fulfill what the prophet said. You say, who's the prophet and what did he say? Isaiah was the prophet. Here's what he said. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, this conversation is really interesting because this is a conversation that was fulfilled to 
a person and a group of people in two totally different ways. Here's his story. Isaiah was a prophet from King Uzziah all the way to King Hezekiah, four different kings in Israel. And Uzziah's grandson was a guy named Ahaz who was a bad guy. Bad guy, bad king, and he ruled in a bad time. Because Israel had a civil war, the southern half was called Judah. That's where all the Davidic kings ruled. Northern half was called Israel. It was way bigger, way more people, way more money, way more military. And Israel had partnered together with Aram, modern-day Syria, and said, let's go get Jerusalem. It's a good city. We should have it. And they were on the doorstep of Jerusalem when Ahaz said, somebody go get Isaiah. We're in trouble. Because Ahaz knew about the promises of God. God promised to bless the whole world, not just through Abraham, but from someone who's like supposed to be my kid from the line of David. And they're telling me they're going to kill me. Can God still be trusted? Is God still working? What's going to happen? And Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7 says, don't worry about it. God can be trusted, and they're not coming in here. They're not going to shoot an arrow here. They're not going to knock the wall down here. And he said, here's going to be the sign. God will give you a sign. You're going to be okay. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. If we were to read the rest of Isaiah chapter 7, here's what, here's what Isaiah said. You can be so confident in what God is doing. Go take your wife on a date. Have a night of intimacy. She will get pregnant and have a son a year from now, and this army will be gone. And none to worry about. And a year from now when the baby's born, you'll remember God told you, you got nothing to worry about. My kingdom, my promises, my people, my throne is going to be okay. But in what's called a double hermeneutic in Scripture, which means there's two interpretations of this prophecy, this word you, even though Isaiah was speaking to Ahaz, the word you here is plural, which means God is going to give a sign to all of his people that will read it. And here's the sign. A virgin is going to conceive and she's going to give birth to a son in the line of David who, regardless of what his name is, when people talk about him, they're going to say he is God with us. There are going to be a lot of sons that come from the line of David, but there's going to be one specifically that people look at. And when they look at his life and his ministry and what he does, they're going to say he was... He was not just a son of Abraham. He was not just a son of David. He was not just a savior. He was God with us. We didn't know it at the time, but God was in the midst of us. Ahaz is asking, can I trust God? Is he still in charge? The world looks so dark. I don't know what's going to happen next year. And Isaiah says, you can trust him. See, the birth of Jesus meant and still means that God is in control. And maybe most important to Ahaz and to you today and to our community this week is this. The truth of Christmas means infinitely more when times are hopelessly bad. Ahaz said, Isaiah, are you sure we're going to be okay? And Isaiah says, yes, you're going to be okay. The virgin's going to conceive, is going to have a son. You're going to call him Emmanuel. Like, you're going to know, if you walk in faith, you will know that God is with you. And listen to me, Journey. Those of you here, those of you watching online, listen closely. He's saying, Christian, is it going to be okay? It's going to be okay. Because the virgin conceived, past tense. And she gave birth to a son, past tense. And they called him Jesus. But today, we say he is still God with us. It's going to be okay. Because God is with us. And it's interesting how Matthew ends his chapter because it's the same way he started the chapter. He tells the whole story and he said, then he was born. And he gave him the name Jesus. The promises of the past, the present, 
the presence needed in our present, the person whose birth changed everything, Jesus, the bookends of the chapter, Jesus, the center of Christmas, Jesus, the light of the world, Jesus, the hope of next year, Jesus. If you don't know him, today's a good day to start. Because God's promise for you is he wants to bless you. He wants you to live in his kingdom with him as your king. He wants to save you by changing you from the inside out. He does it all through Jesus. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, but you've been hiding in the shadows because we live in a culture that's gonna beat you down if you step out, do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. You're in the majority. You have history on your side. You have nothing to be ashamed of. If you've been withdrawn from spiritual community and your first phone call is not someone breathing life into you, it's time to change that in 2021. And if you want more of Jesus, you gotta get in his word. You gotta get into prayer. Lean into Emmanuel this Christmas season. Would you pray with me as we close? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but hearts are open. If you've never met Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, today's your day. Jesus came at Christmas to offer you peace and forgiveness and hope by putting your faith in him as your savior. And if you need that today, all you have to do is open your heart to the truth that you heard and tell Jesus you need him. You can do that through prayer. You can pray these words after me if you don't know what to say. Just pray something like this from your heart to heaven. You don't even have to pray it out loud. Just pray something like this. Jesus, I need you. Forgive my sin and brokenness. Heal me and make me brand new. I surrender my will to your spirit. I ask that you would come into my heart and life and lead me. Today, I want to follow Jesus and become a Christian. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. If you just prayed with me in just a second, Danielle will be here to tell you how you can let us know of your spiritual decision so we can pray for you, pray with you, give you a gift, just celebrate what's happening and help in your spiritual journey. But before we close in prayer, Christians, what did God say to you today? Followers of Jesus, what did God say to you today? Did he tell you to stop being ashamed? Then ask him to give you a simple childlike faith in the supernatural. Did he tell you you need spiritual community? Ask him to help you step out and engage in 2021. Did he tell you you need more of God's presence? Lean into Jesus through his word and through prayer this month with a brand new commitment so that Emmanuel can be with you. God, we thank you for Yeshua HaMashiach, for Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Son of David and the Son of Abraham. You promised the world that you would bless them. Matthew told us Jesus does that. You told the world you'd rule over them in a kingdom that came on earth as it would in heaven. Matthew said Jesus would do that. You told the world you would save them by removing a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. Matthew said Jesus does that. And Lord, you promised through Isaiah that he would be with us, God with us. So God, be with us this Christmas season. Be with us as we walk through this 2020 year. Let us feel your blessing. Lord, let us feel and surrender to your rule. God, I pray that we would be transformed by the changing of your new covenant within us. And God, I pray as we walk with you that we would be able to say, 
Like Mary and Joseph said, that Jesus is God with us. We can't do it without you. So we pray you'd be with us and help us as we move through this month. We love you. And we ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's